0: This is the Bay Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today we begin Jesus' final discourse in John as he prepares for his imminent arrest. What does it mean that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? Yeah. You've said this passage is chock full of some
1: N-E-T insight today, huh?
0: Yeah, well, and and Greek ambiguity, basically, is what it boils down to. Sweet.
1: Well, not does not disappoint the Gospel of John when it comes to those kinds of things
0: um, I feel like my voice is a little weird i've got some allergy stuff going on so if I sound a little different than normal, I feel like I sound different than normal, and that probably means I do sound different so mm-hmm. also related to this passage and building a house and whatnot <laughs> i have I have a contractor in my house, so there may be the occasional uh hammer sound or whatever so all sorts of audio nonsense going on in my world today. Coming to you from the real Brent Billings
1: experience. I do love that. Um, But do not let your hearts be distressed, Marty. (laughs) Uh, Oh, my goodness gracious. So, so fitting for today. Um, Yeah, I feel like there was something I was going to say about... Yeah, so just as a reminder, like we have entered the Book of Glory and we are looking at now. Now things have shifted. We have we have grappled with the book of signs and the identity of who Jesus is. But now the conversation has shifted. If we accept the identity of who Jesus claims to be, if we say, "Okay, I do believe that Jesus is who he claims to be," I do believe in his origins. He's bringing me a a heavenly perspective. That he's speaking from a place of what the Father has told him, and only the Father has told him. If I accept this, well, now I have to grapple with what that. I don't know if I want to say what that demands of me, but what are the implications of that as followers of him? And so in this last conversation, we looked at uh, John 13, we saw him washing feet, we saw him serving. We're going to find in this book of glory, to be glorified in this way, to win according to the kingdom is going to be to lose, to to be exalted is going to be humbled, to Rule is going to mean to serve, and everything is going to be upside down. So we can expect that conversation today to continue. He is trying to teach his disciples on this back half of John. He's trying to deep teach his disciples. And and again, we've spent the front half of John covering all this length of time, years worth of time. Now, all of a sudden, the back half of John, we're covering hours, like like literally just—at this point, we're in the same evening— and then we're only going to cover like a few more days even after that. So all of a sudden the conversation gets very concentrated, the timeline gets very condensed because now we're diving into what does it mean to truly be a follower of Jesus, a person that is in the way, walking in the way of Christ. So that that's what that's what we're going to talk about today. The conversation is going to continue and I think we typically tend to get ourselves a little lost arguing about theology in some of these cases. So we'll try to, we'll try to deal with some of
0: that today. But Brent, if you're ready, you can dive right in to John 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going.
1: All right. I think we may have talked about this really like in passing. I I think maybe all the way back in session one when we talked about marriage and the, I think we had an episode called Under the Hoopa and we talked about that whole process. And I think we might have just in passing kind of like glanced at these references this is definitely um, marriage talk, if you will. This is definitely uh, I go to prepare a place for you. That's what a that's what a groom does. And and we've seen this we've seen this language in John before. I mean, obviously the story of, of the wedding at Cana, but we've seen some other references. Like the wedding motif has followed us through John, if we've been paying attention. This is another one of those wedding motifs where um, where where the husband, the groom he gets betrothed and then he leaves to go prepare that place he goes to build on to the house to build on to his father's insula his father's uh bait of his uh, the house the bait um he goes to build on to that physical property he and when they get when he comes back and they get married they're going to live in that addition for one year their honeymoon period and then after that year they will kind of assimilate into the rest of the larger house the father will probably turn that addition into some something he had plans for, some storage room or some other addition under the home or whatever. But they're going to enter the rest of family life with the larger extended family and the extended insula at that. But this is the this is the picture in the image. Jesus says, And if you remember, they just got done with Passover and the Seder meal. And the Seder meal has these the same betrothal language. So he's essentially. Just gotten done with a fourth cup of the Seder meal, which was a cup of betrothal. And he says, I won't drink of this cup again until I drink it anew with you in my father's house. Exactly what the groom would say when they get engaged. And then his next statement, essentially, is him saying, okay, now I go to leave. I go to prepare a place for you. This fits the exact same conversation about betrothal and marriage. He's going to go prepare a place because he's going to come back and take us to be. And of course, I mean, it's going to be John that writes the book of Revelation and what's the image of Revelation? I saw the church come down out of heaven. How does she look, Brent? What's the, what's the physical appearance of the church? Uh,
0: uh, this appearance of great glory, I would say.
1: You would, and uh, specifically says adorned as a bride.
0: Mm, I saw yes. the
1: church adorned as a bride. And so John, it will be the same author, continues with this motif in even other books. That's the picture that he loves to use of this reunification between Christ and his church, between heaven and earth. The restoration of all things being seen as a wedding and this reunification of this estranged I don't mean that in a I just mean like a couple yearning for that uh that unification. So uh that's that's the picture there that we have. We don't have mansions. The old King James Version used to have mansions. I know I think here in a little bit I'm gonna quote the uh Uh, the Jewish annotated New Testament again, and it won't be this footnote because it's just horrific. Um, The footnote on this one talks about, you know, is is the Greek reference here a Greek reference to palace? It seems to be referencing palaces. So, I mean, maybe the King James had something it was basing that idea off of. Not the picture that I think Jesus would be hearkening to or that they would immediately think of or, or hear as they hear betrothal language, but I digress.
0: The NET footnote does speak to that a bit in that, uh, the mansions translation is, uh, just a problem of middle English versus modern English mansion just meant a a permanent home. Essentially there, they have lots of arguments about whether this is supposed to be a temporary dwelling or a permanent dwelling. They argue that it should be permanent. Um, I would agree, but they do note that in middle English, uh, the word mansion just meant a home essentially, not a, something grand or large or anything like that, like we think of the word mansion in modern English. Right. Yes. A couple other, um, uh, well, if you have any other thoughts about that specifically, go ahead.
1: Well, I'm going to transition to a new line of thought. So if you've got some more NET goodies, now's a great time.
0: Yeah. So just in this paragraph, there's tons and tons of ambiguity. Um, From the beginning, you believe in God, believe also in me. So as they translate it, both the NIV and NET translate it this way where uh, the first sentence is indicative as in, this is just the way it is, you do believe in God. And then the second one is imperative, a command to believe also in me. But both of those portions can be either of those options. So you could say they're both indicative, you could say they're both imperative. Uh, Apparently, somebody has also argued that the first one, could be a question, as in, "Do you believe in God? If so, believe also in me." Uh, so there's there's like tons of options there. You can read the footnote on if you want to explore any of that. Fascinating. Um, again, with the um, the going away and preparing a place for you, uh, there's some manuscript questions as to whether there's a because in the middle of that. Um, I would have told you because I am going away to to prepare a place for you there's just there's tons of there's like four different options in how you can translate that little section so i i don't want to like lay all these out because i don't necessarily have anything particular to point out but there are lots of different options in the greek the way it is constructed so if you're interested in how that all works check out the footnotes and you'll you'll um be able to spend hours with your mind spinning on the possibilities i think
1: i love that Splendid. Um, yeah, and I got some footnotes out of my Jewish annotated New Testament. Not the ones I didn't like, but maybe some that I like. Just remember that this isn't like a full-blown endorsement for everything you're going to read in the footnotes. But
0: <laughs> Of course not. <laughs> we don't have uh, a full-blown endorsement of just about anything. That's right. But verse 6, give me verse 6 again in the NIV there, Brent. Uh, well, we haven't gotten there yet. What? <laughs> we only got through verse 4. <laughs> Oh yeah,
1: you know the way to the place where I am going. That's the verse I wanted. Is that what it says in the New Enemy? Yeah, read, read me, read me verse four in the New Enemy.
0: You know the way to the place where I am going. All right.
1: So the footnote here. There's going to be a big, uh, a big part of this discussion is talking about the way. And even in the previous passage, um, uh, the way. Where are you going, Peter asked him. Um, not, not so much in reference to the way, but this whole conversation of I'm going away. And Peter's like where are you going Now he says this is the way And by the way let's just get the awesome Moment where we can just Stop and appreciate the phrase This is the way Reserve some for the foundlings
0: As it should always be The foundlings are the future This This is the way
1: This is the way This is the way
0: I love it. I hope we have. I hope we have fellow Mandalorian fans listening. <laughs> uh, I don't even care if anybody else is a Mandalorian <laughs> fan. We're making the reference. <laughs> That's
1: probably going to come back throughout our recording today. This is the way. This is the way. But the footnote here in the Jewish Annotated New Testament talks about the way. It says this: a summary of Johannian uh, John's Christology. Christ believers called themselves the way. Do you have Acts nine, verse one and two,
0: Brent? Uh, Yes. Uh, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem.
1: All right. He's coming after followers of the way. This isn't just like some obscure reference in the gospel of John, but apparently the early followers, one of the things they called themselves or that at least others called them, but I would say there's evidence that they called themselves as followers of the way. Um, Now, I just even got a letter from a good friend of mine the other day thinking he was, he said, I think I'm going to start a movement called the way. I remember being a young pastor who wanted to plant a church and I was going to call my church the way and you are always quickly informed that there uh is a, probably what most of us would consider a cultic movement called the way so before you go solidify that in your paperwork because <laughs> it is it's got a little catchy ring to it today in you know in the in the 2000s and 2022 yeah the way what a catchy little unfortunately that has some baggage in our modern era so um nevertheless,
0: there's, there's also some, like, uh, in the books of Enoch. Uh, oh, sure. There's references to the way. Yes. Uh, two different ways, a, a true way and a false way, and the way is the true way.
1: Yep. Which would be similar to, like, say, the, the Derek or the path or the way. Absolutely. Sometimes I like to translate Derek as way or path or road or any of those kind of things. But absolutely. So these early believers they they got a hold of this thing that john's talking about john is talking about the way and by the time we're done here i want to talk more about this concept of this is the way and i even love how the mandalorian concept actually is going to help us frame this because i think it's the right it's the right way to understand uh, uh how how to how to understand this this line of thought and this thinking but this is This is something about how people understand who Jesus is and how he's called them to live in the world. But more on that later for now. Let's go
0: ahead and keep reading. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. So how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him.
1: Okay, so there's that phrase. I remember in session three, When we chatted about this, one of the cases that I make and I still believe and I stand by is that John's I am statements are connected to statements that Jews would have made about Torah, Um, that Jews called Torah the bread of life, that Jews called Torah um, the good shepherd, that there are references to Torah being the light of the world. Like these are all common ways to talk about Torah. There were also claims made by pagan deities, and we talked about that in the Session 3 episode on John. Um, a lot of people called in and said, I, give me the source for that, um, and it's not like one source. I haven't necessarily found a book. There may be one buried on my bibliography that I get to that does actually catalog those references. I haven't run across that yet. Most of these references are going to come from things, everything from – the Mishnah, the Talmud, the Agadah, just different ways that the stories and the teachings and the, um, the Midrash there references what Torah is. So it's going to be a scattered, it, it might not be a perfect word-for-word match, so I can't source that. And if that disturbs people and they don't want to cling to that idea, then by all means, please don't. Um, as I find them, I'm going to try to catalog them so I have better referencing for that. That's what was taught to me. I'm I'm all in on that. I've seen some of those references. I'm confident that Midrash uh, references uh, the Torah and in those terms. I think that's what John is doing. You don't have to agree with that. That is completely okay. Totally disregard that if you need to. Because one of the things that I said here is when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life— it's one of those instances where Jesus is saying, I'm Torah. You know that Torah is the way. I mean you ask where the Jeremiah 6:16, 6, you know ask for the ancient past. Ask where the good way is, the good way. Uh, well the good way is what, what is Jeremiah talking about? Well, the ancient paths they would say is Torah. And so Torah is the way. Torah is truth, obviously. Torah is truth. Torah is life. Leviticus, we'll talk about living. The one who does these things will live by them. Torah is way and truth and life. I think one of the things that Jesus is saying is that I am Torah. You don't have to buy that. What we love to do with this passage, especially in evangelical circles, is we love to take this passage and say, see, Christianity is the only way to heaven. No matter what you believe about my claims, that is not what this verse says. This verse might say, and I'm hesitant about this, this verse might say that you you don't show up before God. You don't get to God except through Jesus and the power of Jesus and the power of Christ. Okay, I'm not sure that's what he's saying. I think what Jesus is getting at is you can't encounter God any more clearly. There is no other way to encounter God personally On the same level that you can encounter God, you you can't encounter God more clearly than you can through me. You want to see God? Look at me. I am God standing in front of you. I think that's what Jesus is saying. It's far more of a Christological claim than an exclusivity of Christian practice claim. He's not making any statement about the practice of Christianity. He is making a statement about the person of Jesus and how much he's saying about Jesus we can debate that. Nevertheless, I just love to point that out because we love to quote that passage and be like, see, if you want to get to heaven, which again, we're just so obsessed with salvation and heaven and going to heaven when we die and getting saved and being on the right team and making sure that there's another team that's the wrong team and making sure that that team's going to hell. Like we're so obsessed with that conversation that we... We we just project that onto everything. That's not what's going on here in John 14. That's not what he's talking about with his disciples. It's not even good exegesis. That's not what's taking place here. Jesus may be saying, you don't encounter God without me. Okay. Jesus might be saying, you don't encounter God any more clearly or perfectly. There is no other access to God more clear, more perfect, more exact than me. That's my personal take, and that's filtered through what I also believe he's saying. I am Torah. You're not going to find a better version of Torah than the one standing in front of you wrapped in flesh. So that's that concept. And again, what I think when we get all distracted by the whole exclusivity claim, when we hear this verse and we immediately start arguing for or against whether or not there are other ways to get to God, other ways to be saved, other religions or other paths, when we have that conversation, we completely miss, 100% miss the point that Jesus is making, which is there is a way that I am inviting you into. And that way is a way of death. Let me read the footnote here. Again, another footnote I liked from the annotated New Testament, Jewish annotated New Testament from Oxford it says this. Knowledge of the the way, the truth, and the life. Knowledge of truth is more like a personal relationship instead of an intellectual experience. No one except through me, the basis for exclusive... uh, uh, Let's see here, sorry, I read the wrong footnote. Um, Jesus is not a visual experience, but one of personal knowledge. Therefore, to know Jesus and to understand his life is to understand and know the life of God. I've got one more footnote that's coming up, but I'm going to let us work through the passage before I get there. But this is about knowing who Jesus is, the life he lived, and see what he's talking about, not as an abstract theological statement about who gets where or the exclusivity of Christianity. We're missing the, the invitation to live a life that looks like Jesus and what he's trying to say to his disciples in this moment. I'm probably getting slightly ahead of myself, and I don't know if you have any juicy any tea stuff, but we can either keep reading or you can give us more things to think about, Brent.
0: Well, back in that footnote discussing the permanence of the dwelling places, at the end of the footnote, it, it says, it is also important to note, however, the emphasis in the fourth gospel itself on the present reality of eternal life. And the possibility of worshiping the Father in spirit and in truth in the present age. Uh, there is a sense in which it is possible to say that the future reality is present now. See J. McCaffrey, the house with many rooms. So they're they're just taking it for granted that uh what Jesus is talking about is a is a present reality of eternal life, not this getting somewhere else situation, but bringing that situation here.
1: Amen and amen. I mean, I'm going to stand right with them in that. I love it. I love it. Because then we're hearing the invitation. That conversation makes sense. We always forget to like make sure the conversation we're reading about makes sense in its original context. We just pull it into our context 2,000 years later and try to make it make sense there. But that's not the the kind of hermeneutic that we've always studied and tried to adhere to in the in the Bayma study,
0: so yeah, and both the NIV and the NET translate it this way. Uh, as far as verse seven, if you really know me, you will know my father as well. Um, but they both present, and when they when the NIV gives you a footnote, you know there's debate. Sure, <laughs> the N, the NET footnotes everything. Um, the NIV footnotes the stuff where it's like, well, we're leaning this way, but there is debate, um, and the. The difference is if you really know me, you will know my father, or if you really knew me, you would have known my father. So there's that question of, is, is the knowing of the father coming later in the future? Or if, if you had known me, you would have already known him kind of thing. And both of them end up leaning the same direction, um, but the the NET will break down all the different manuscripts that uh, point one direction or the other and kind of break that down more if you're interested in that debate.
1: Yeah, and by the time we set this in its context, I think any one of those readings is going to work um, because actually we're going to have some context to like give that some girth, I think, and that's going to build out a little bit. And no matter which way we want to phrase that, we're going to be like, oh, either way Jesus is saying... You have an opportunity to know the Father. Either you have an opportunity in front of you to know the Father, or you, if you know the Father, this makes sense to you. Either way, I think either one of those is going to be an illuminating lesson for us to grapple with and learn from. So I like that. That's a good debate.
0: Yeah. And that is that is the danger of diving too deep on too small of a portion without looking at the greater context is sure when you do look at the greater context, does it really matter which way you go on that one phrase? Maybe not, so. Right, yeah, absolutely. Okay, ready to move on? Sure, just give me one verse, I only need one. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us.
1: All right, so here's the last reference to Philip. Now, the other Gospels have mentioned Philip only in the list of disciples. So all the stories that we have outside of the book of Acts, outside of Acts, and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the only stories we have of Philip are in which Gospel, right? Just John. Just John. Does Matthew tell any stories about Philip? No. Nope. How about Mark? No. Nope. Luke, tell any stories about Philip? Nothing. All the stories we have with Philip all show up in John. Without John's gospel, we would have no stories, no backstory, no no color to Philip's life. And yet John almost—Philip is one of those characters that John spends time you know, telling his story. And the question is why? And I think context tells us why. Where did we say all the way back in session three that John wrote his gospel to and from? Which
0: region? Uh, Asia, Asia Minor region.
1: Right. Yes, absolutely. John was known, uh, some will call him the pastor to Asia. So John ends up in Ephesus sets up shop there traditionally, and according to church history, he ends up in Ephesus and becomes kind of that central presence to the church in Asia and maybe even Asia Minor, but the pastor to Asia. Well, one of the people that we also know is in the region to Asia, and we talked about Philip back in, uh, I think that was session three, we talked about um, uh, I, there was an episode on nonviolence. It definitely made some people frustrated and upset for lots of different reasons on both ends of the spectrum. And it was that one that we talked about how I didn't want any emails about, I think we referenced concealed carry and how people respond to, and we told the story of Philip in session three and how Philip didn't respond with self-defense. Philip didn't respond. Philip responded with laying his life down. And I think the reason that John tells the story of Philip is because Philip. Where did that story take take place? Brent, you were with me. What city do we study? Philip. What city did he die in?
0: Oh, um, Laodicea. Is that no, right? Not
1: quite. Not quite. Close though.
0: Hmm.
1: It's in that same triangle. You had Laodicea on one end. You had Colossae, and Laodicea was in the middle. And on either side of Laodicea, you had Colossae, and then you had what? City with the hot water springs. Oh,
0: goodness. See, I need a second turkey trip so I can solidify I these things in my mind. need to get you back over there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it was the city of Heropolis.
0: Heropolis, yes. Okay.
1: Heropolis. That is where church history tells us that Philip was crucified with his daughters. Now, save me your email, please. I'm serious. I'm serious, everybody. We're now 200 and some odd episodes in. I know that there is debate about which Philip is which Philip. I know that everybody's going to get really frustrated, and there's a bunch of seminarians that write me emails all the time and that say that's not the right Philip, and here's all the reasons why. I've looked at the evidence. I disagree, and it's just a personal opinion. I think the the two Philips are the same Philip, and I think Philip was crucified. I don't think there's any historical. In my mind, my opinion is my uh, my my opinion is set. I have a conviction. I know that other people will disagree with that, and that is completely fine. Just save me your email telling me how wrong I am. Um, But Philip was crucified with his daughters in Heropolis. That is the region of John's ministry in Asia. And what I love about this is John takes all this time to tell the story of one of the apostles that all of his readers know. They know him. He traveled to Heropolis and Laodicea and Colossae. I'm sure that Philip went to Ephesus. Philip is one of the apostles that everybody that reads John's gospel, they know him. Unlike the audience of, say, Matthew or Mark or maybe even Luke, John's audience especially knows they knew Philip personally. And so he tells his story, and this ends up being his last reference. And I love that because one of the first times, like we met Philip when Jesus called him, and he went and he got Nathaniel right in chapter 1. But one of the first stories we ran into was the story of the feeding of the 5,000. And do you remember what John did that was so unique with the feeding of the 5,000,
0: Brent? It's okay if you don't, but I'm going to see if you do. Uh, If Philip asks a question that that was inserted in the middle of it, the the whole process was shortcutted in the other Gospels.
1: Uh, Almost. Uh, you're, You're right on top of it. So in the other Gospels, the disciples come to Jesus and say the people are without food. But in John's Gospel, Jesus tells the disciples that the people are without food, and John says he does this to test Philip. So all the other gospels, it says the disciples bring up the issue and ask Jesus to do something. But in John's Gospel, Jesus brings up the issue, asks the disciples to do them. It says, it tells us as readers that Jesus is testing Philip. And Philip's response is, How in the world are we going to do that, Jesus? So Philip's, Philip has kind of like his, his nudnik response. Nudnik is a Hebrew word for like fool or airhead in the Hebrew. He has his like dumb response, like his, his foolhardy moment. And then throughout the gospel, we see Philip go on this journey. And Ray taught me, and I love this, he thinks this is Philip's kind of shining moment. I don't think we typically look at it this way, but he says he sees Philip growing here. Earlier in the gospel, Philip said, how in the world are we going to feed 5,000 people, Jesus? That's ridiculous. Now, Jesus has just said... um. Uh, I am the Father and one. If you know me, you know the Father, all that stuff. And Philip
0: now says, what was his response? Give me that verse one more time, Brent. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us.
1: Philip just told Jesus, I think you want us to see God. Okay, Jesus, I'm ready. Show us God. Now, just think about how ludicrous that is, but that's the kind of faith that Philip now has. I learned. I learned a lesson that day about the feeding of 5,000. I have no idea what Jesus is going to be able to do. If you're telling me that I want to, that I'm going to see God, then Jesus, show me God. I'm ready. Like, I I love that, that picture of the redemption of the Philip narrative here. This is going to be kind of his last appearance in the drama of John. And Philip's last appearance is him saying, I'm ready, Jesus, show me God. And of course, Jesus is going to go on and be like, no, Philip, that's not what I'm talking about. But Philip is still... Well, hold on. Let me hold that thought. Let me hold that thought. Go ahead. We're going to have to link that episode, Brent. We're going to have to figure out which episode that was and link that in the show notes, even though it definitely irritated people and made them upset.
0: So I'm afraid to link it a second time, but nevertheless. <laughs> which, which episode? feeding the 5,000?
1: No. The episode where we talked about Philip. It's in the gospel. It's in session three. Uh, it's somewhere we chatted about Philip when we talked about nonviolence. And Jesus' disciples didn't have a concealed carry permit, and we did that whole thing, and I begged people not to send me emails. It was one of those episodes. <laughs> uh, okay. And and usually the subject line comes in on the email. I The subject line will say, I know you said not to email you about this episode. Almost everybody has that in their subject line,
0: which I'm like, thank you. <laughs> Uh, okay, we'll find it. Okay, I don't know how. Maybe you can use your transcripts and do a little search or something.
1: And you know, now that I think about it, I'm wondering if it's actually session four and the very beginning. Was it when we discussed the stoning of Stephen? I I'm starting to think it's at the beginning of session four, Brent, when we talked about the stoning of Stephen and Acts and how Stephen didn't start slinging stones back. I'm I have this vague memory of that being the context. Stephen stood and let himself be stoned, rather than, you know, he faced his death as a martyr. And then we ended up linking that up to Philip's martyrdom. And I, I do also know I made some people upset because of the way I referenced um, uh, uh, rape and 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 sexual abuse uh, was was I, I didn't give people a warning, and that was somewhat triggering. And. And they didn't like how I kind of leveraged that story. I think that's really valid. I even contemplated making an addendum video of that. So I'll say that up front now. Don't go back and listen to that episode if that was something that concerned you and bothered you. I didn't intend to do that as I told that story. I find the story of Philip unbelievably um, uh, just a moving example of what faithfulness looks like. And his commitment to exactly what we're going to talk about today. And that's why I want to link that episode. I think it's a great reminder of what we're going to talk about here by the time we're done. But I digress. I, if I did that poorly, please don't go back and re-listen to that. Is that enough? Uh, Do we give that enough commentary, Brent? I think so. Yeah. Okay, one,
0: one way or the other, we'll find it. And so whatever. We already have in the show notes uh, episode 22 under the hoopah. So it's not okay. that.
1: Yep. It's not that. We done. have
0: episode 87 on John. Yep. Um, and by the way, that... That episode has a link for a map showing you when we say Asia and Asia minor, yeah, sure. what does that actually mean? Yep. Um, so we have a map that that shows that. Um, so there will be another episode after that. And that's the one if you really want to go back. Yes. <laughs> yeah, nah, that will be great. Okay. Reading on in uh, John 14 then? Yes, John
1: 14. Let's finish up our passage for today. And I'm going to try to wrap this up with some thoughts. And I'm sure you have some NET goodies.
0: Uh, not as many on the back end. Uh, Most of the NET goodies were front loaded, but, uh, wonderful. Yeah. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? Don't you believe that I am in the father and that the father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it.
1: Okay, let's take this in chunks here to close out this episode. Number one, let's talk footnotes. Do you have anything in that paragraph about uh, any good footnotes
0: there you want to bring up? Well, they do talk about, um, you know, what are the greater works? And uh, they say like, well, as far as miracles, miraculous works, there's not really anything that we see the apostles doing that is better than something that Jesus did. So what they believe Jesus is referring to is just the number of people and the area of influence and whatever. Um, because, you know, basically straight out of the gate, Peter gets 3000 people. And we have talked about that number and what that number means, but either way, a very great multitude right from the start. And, you know, so much more going forward as we see them, you know, we read in Acts nine, we see, you know there's syn- multiple synagogues, plural synagogues in Damascus, uh which apparently according to the n e t footnotes according to the Mishnah, you have to have at least ten men in a place to establish a synagogue, so uh there's quite a community in all these places, and so that's anyway
1: that's a great I, and I don't think that's wrong i think I think there's a lot of truth to what it's pointing out and what it's seen there in the reference to works. I think we've talked before in past episodes about. Part of the way, in in the Jewish perspective, part of the way that you validate a rabbi, that you judge a rabbi's success, or that's probably a bad term to use, but how do you know the fruit of a rabbi's ministry? It's not in the beauty of his teachings or what he was able to accomplish. In the Jewish world, the fruit of a rabbi, the success of a rabbi lies with his followers. It's the followers. A, A rabbi has to be able to pass on who he is to his followers and his disciples, his students, those that come after him, have to be at least as good or better than he is. That's the true test of how great a rabbi was, is a rabbi has to be able to pass on who he is to his followers. So when Jesus says, you will do greater things than mine, of course, of course, because if Jesus is who we believe he is, then he has to be able to pass on what he's done and even more so. Now that's going to come through the help of, we're going to talk next week about the next episode about uh, uh, the counselor, the Holy Spirit. It's going to be the power of the Holy Spirit through which we're able to do those things. But the body of Christ is going to do even greater things than than the singular person of Jesus as a Jewish rabbi who did unbelievable miracles. The body of Christ post-resurrection, empowered by the Holy Spirit, is going to do even greater things. And yes, I think a part of that is the quantitative measurement of the impact of Christ's work through the body of Christ, quantitatively. I also am going to argue that we together as a unified, albeit imperfect, sinful and imperfect, but unified, diverse body of Christ is able to do qualitatively Better things as his spirit works through us. I think that's also what Jesus is saying. I wouldn't argue that for a moment, but I also believe that my footnote here is actually better than yours, Brent. Ooh, very good. <laughs> so here's my footnote it says, Works means not just signs, but Jesus's willingness to offer his life. Uh, later, when it says, Asking things in my name, in my name this footnote says, would be in accordance with the character of Jesus, the true character of Jesus. So the works here, not just being the things that he accomplished in his ministry, but works being the kind of life that he lives, namely in the footnote, his willingness to lay down his life. And that fits exactly the context that i would bring up here and the conversation that i want to you know circle on to to close off our conversation so we titled this episode brent this is the way and we've already given a nod to the mandalorian tell me what that phrase means cuz i know how much you love the mandalorian and and that whole that the whole conversation there what does this what does this phrase mean this is the way why do they use this phrase this is
0: the way what's being what's being articulated there uh, they have a particular code of how they're going to carry out their life. And even when it is, I mean, it's, they say it in the sense that, like, this is the way we do it. And so this is go- how I'm going to do it, even though I don't necessarily feel like it. But even in, even in just like a, they just are always saying that as a reminder, like, remember, like, whether you want to do it or not, we're doing this because this is the way we do it, not, not because of, Whatever else, whatever outside factors.
1: Absolutely. And that's why I chose this title anyway. I didn't want to make I didn't want to make kind of I didn't want to make this light or be funny. That wasn't really but actually when I thought about it, I'm like, that's the perfect way to frame what's going on here. Jesus is trying to tell his disciples this is the book of glory. This is the way that glory like this is how this is how people are brought to glory to use book of Hebrews language. This is how God brings people to glory. This is the way of glory. This is the book of ours. This is what. This is the way. This is the way of the cross. This is the way of Jesus. This is the way. They call themselves followers of the way. This is the way. It doesn't. It doesn't. It's not always how we want to live or die. It's not always. But this is what Jesus taught us. He taught us how to wash feet. He taught us how to lay down our life. He taught us, and so this whole conversation. But we don't know the way that we're going, where you are going. We don't know. We don't know the way. And Jesus is like, you know the way. And they're like, no, we don't know the way. And Jesus says, I am the way. And again, this is why it gets so frustrating if we focus on, well, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except. And we miss Jesus saying, guys, I am going to show you. I am going to show you the way, and the way is the cross. The way is the laying down of my life, and you haven't seen it in its fullness yet. We've been teaching it. We've been talking about it, but you haven't seen it in its fullness yet. But I go to prepare a place for you. I am going to show you the way. I am going to show you, and what I love about that is what does Philip, we just talked about Philip's glorious, his 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 hour of glory, what will Philip end up doing? What do the readers of John's gospel know about how Philip laid, they know, John doesn't have to write about it. They know how Philip dies. They know that Philip gets it. He didn't get it that day. He's like, okay, show me God and all, I'm ready. Show us the father, Jesus. And Jesus says to Philip, no, Philip, that's not what I'm talking about, but you're going to have to follow me. And they know Philip did. Philip did follow Jesus. Philip did learn the way. And I just freaking love that. And that is, that's what this whole book of glory is trying to impress upon us. Jesus is trying to tell his disciples, listen, if you want to be a part of the kingdom, it's upside down. If you really want to be a part of victorious triumph, you better be ready for death and martyrdom. You want to be a part of what God's doing in the world? You better be ready to lose everything. You want to be first, you better be ready to be last because this is what glory, my kind of glory looks like. You want to be awesome? Better learn how to wash feet. This is this this is the way. This is the way. You want to be a part of the kingdom? This is the way. And uh and I think we often miss that. In light of all the other theological arguments we have about John 14. But
0: I don't know, Brent, what do you think? Uh yeah. I think Philip's story is amazing. Yeah. That's oh, good. I was also just reflecting on verse 14 a little bit. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it, thinking about uh how, how much that verse has been misused and abused.
1: <laughs> yes, and it has to be seen in its context, right? Right. You have to see it in the context of you got to lay down you got to lay down your life. You got to be willing to die. And if you if you do this, if you walk in my way, if you're going to lay down your life, if you're going to follow me to the cross, if you're if that's what you're up to, God God will give you. If that's the name, if that's the and I love the footnote that I read about in his name means in 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 the spirit of Jesus's true character. If that's what you're doing in the world, God's got you. God's got you. And it doesn't mean that he'll save you because almost all of these disciples are going to die horrific deaths. Almost all of them that are listening to Jesus that night are going to give their lives in very similar ways to the way that Christ gave his. So it's not that they get rescued. They may actually end up giving their life, but God will do if they're trying to move the kingdom forward in the way that Jesus, in the way, if this is the way and that's the way that they're living, well, God will do God will do what he God will do whatever they ask. If that's what they're truly seeking, God will honor
0: that. I love that. It's a great point. And this whole this whole conversation is about belief in Jesus, in the Father, and if you really believe it, you're going to have to lay down your life, and they did. And they absolutely and
1: they did. And I I don't know if we grapple with that enough. I would we. Like that's that's what I often, you know, think about when I'm in Hierapolis. Would what, what I, would I, would I lay down my life? Do I understand what, what the Book of Glory, is imploring me to understand, or is my life too comfortable, too cushy, uh, where I can think one thing, I can, I can believe things, quote unquote, but never actually have to give my life for them? And I'm not saying that the ultimate goal is martyrdom. I'm not saying the ultimate goal is literally laying down my life, but for many christians throughout history and in many other parts of the world even now that is that is what the way looks like and 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 yeah of course this is the way that's what jesus tried to teach us and uh man we spend a lot of time trying to preserve our our comforts and our freedoms and our and and i'm glad i live in the place that i live I'm, I, I don't despise that but man that's that's not the way
0: and i think i think what's most amazing about it is that they all did it like I, I, wouldn't have been surprised. Sure, to have such a claim, and then some of them die for sure. it. Sure, absolutely. But the fact that all of them did, yeah, yep, it's crazy. Like yep that that is that is a serious amount of belief. Yeah, that is that's such a strong. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Such a strong testimony for what Jesus was doing.
1: Absolutely, they didn't get it that night. Not. The night we're reading about here in John, they didn't get it then, but they got it later.
0: They got it, yeah.
1: And they they understood the way by the time they were done.
0: And next episode, we'll talk about how they they came to understand. I think.
1: Ooh, we'll definitely learn about what they had
0: to help them. That's for sure. Okay, well that does it for this episode. Uh, if you want to get a hold of Marty, you can. I don't even can. can by the time this episode comes out, will Twitter even exist? I don't know. <laughs> uh i may have to redo this whole thing uh you know just go to com. we have a contact form you can use that although that doesn't always work all the time which is why we have twitter uh find us but even find twitter us. even twitter like filters out DMs sometimes and i have to find them buried it's it's hey, uh, if you want to get a the hold way. of us you got to do the work <laughs>
1: Apparently. that's right this is the way this is the way
0: <laughs> okay well thanks for joining us on the bama podcast we'll talk to you again soon It's like a number of significant manuscripts, P66C, Aleph, A, B, C star, D, K, L, W, some Greek letter, maybe F13, 33, 565, 579, 892. Uh, It's like, what? (laughs) I don't understand. I'm sure somebody does. Somebody's got to be that kind of a, somebody's got to be a manuscript nerd out there.